Welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes, a podcast from SVLG that talks to the people driving the conversations that matter for our innovation ecosystem. I'm your AI announcer, Vivi. Today's episode features one of the most remarkable humans I've ever encountered, Barry Williams. Barry shares about his life, his legacy, his lessons, his Black Corporate Director's Time Capsule project, and finally, his Black Director's Video Archive project. And delivering this incredible content to your biological audio receptacles. See what I did there? Are our SVLG hosts, Nadia Anderson, Chief of Staff and SVP of Strategy, as well as her co-host, Peter Leroux Munoz, General Counsel and SVP of Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show. I'm Nadia Anderson. And I'm Peter Leroux Munoz. And we're excited to be bringing you Silicon Valley Vibes. On this very special episode of SVV, I spent the afternoon talking with Barry Lawson Williams about his life, his legacy, his lessons, his work on Black Corporate Directors Time Capsule Project, and finally, his Black Directors Video Archive Project. This conversation was absolutely like sitting at the feet of elders, listening to them give you game, but also talk about all the things that they have seen and experienced in their lifetime. Incredible things that we all should know about. Nadia, I loved listening in on your conversation. This was so informative to me, and I really loved Barry's approach to leadership by being your true, authentic self, even sometimes when you're the only person who might have your background in a particular room or corporate setting. But I really, really was inspired by his message. I can't wait for everyone to listen in on the conversation as well. You know, I say this all the time when I talk to people, but Mr. Barry is absolutely one of my favorites. So you all are in for a treat. Let's take a listen. Um, we are joined today by Mr. Barry Williams, who is known not only for his savvy professionally, but also for his work when it comes to black corporate boards of directors. So thank you for joining us today. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation, have done a lot of reading uh, in your background, took a look at the results from your director's time capsule. As a qualitative researcher, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing the results and the findings. So before we jump into sort of the good stuff, would you mind telling folks a little bit about you who don't know you, a little bit about you, who you are, and you know what your area of expertise is? I grew up on the East Coast, so I'm truly a fake Californian. I came to California for one or two years in 1971, so I'm just a little behind schedule. But I grew up, uh, fortunately, in a wonderful family. Uh, I don't have the hardship story you hear from a lot of people. Uh, it's a story of uh, continuing accomplishment. So my grandparents never went to college. In fact, I was just thinking, my grandparents never finished high school. Yet, my mother and her sister and my father, not his sister, but my mother, her sister, and my father all went to college. The way you uh, earned your college tuition was to work in the post office on Christmas vacation. That was the best job. You could get lots of overtime sorting mail. So. My parents met in the post office. <laughs> but my family, uh, they realized the benefits of education. So all of my uh, brothers and cousins and what have you 
we've all had the opportunity to go to college and we produced many teachers especially uh, but a theme in my family was education and a theme was community involvement uh, and again I was trying to think back but I can remember in the uh, fourth grade I was nine years old in Montvernon, New York and I remember my mother had me on the picket line to Woolworths. Woolworths was the main department store downtown and they wouldn't hire black people and all of their customers were you know most of them were black and brown and what have you they wouldn't give jobs to black people. Uh, so I was on the picket line with my mother when I was nine so my family taught me from the get-go and I think my life has been defined. I also think my life has been defined by good choices and that is my mother uh, put me in private school which broke her heart because my mother came up through the public school system. She was a teacher, principal, administrator but she thought I'd get paid a little more attention to uh, if I went to private school. So I actually went to private school starting in the seventh grade and then went away to school at my choice, really, uh, for high school. And I went to your typical New England prep school, which was a feeder for the Ivy League. So I wound up uh, getting educated at Harvard and getting uh, more degrees than I should have probably. But I, I went to undergraduate then I had a fellowship for a year. Then I went to, uh, was a member of the first combined program in the Lauren Business School. Work-wise, I didn't have many people in my family who were in business. Back in those days, as the choices were, you became a teacher, lawyer, doctor, or a minister. Uh, so uh, I chose law. So as I said, I went to law school uh, and decided that I'd start out in business and then come back to law. So I only thought of business as a way to enable me to be a better corporate lawyer. I, I joined McKinsey, the international consulting firm, because that was like uh, business uh, 101, teach you about the world and management. And I was there for seven years, and I had a tremendous career there because I got to live in Latin America with McKinsey for close to four years. After uh, McKinsey, I went to work for an international uh, construction company, Bechtel, and, and that's because I wanted to sort of really focus more on finance and investments, and that's what I did. And then I went on my own. Along the way, I served in numerous uh, corporate boards, I think I got on my first corporate board when I was 38 without a search firm naming me, obviously without being a CEO and not even a corporate officer. So I've been blessed and I've, I've been on like 16 public company boards in my career. Uh, and I retired eight years ago or nine years ago. And since then, I've been dedicating my effort to getting more blacks on boards. I thought it was a tremendous experience. And I think there's a big myth out of there that uh, they're just not a lot of qualified candidates. So I've been spending my time trying to identify good candidates, trying to make sure they have the training, trying to make sure they have the networking to position themselves to be on the board, and then making recommendations. I found it's not 
important just to be on a board, you got to be effective. So I'm working with people already on boards uh, to position them to be more effective on those boards and to create an environment where they can work with similar people who are on other boards and deal with board issues and other issues like that. My professional history and my personal history is a reflection of those two themes that I mentioned that my family stood for, and that is education. And I've used education to increase my access to opportunity. And I've always been involved in the community, most recently with a very exciting project. Uh, you're too young to know about it, but we're uh, doing a musical on Don Cornelius from Soul Train. And it's called Soul Train, the hippest uh, show in town. Hopefully uh, it'll go to Broadway, but I worked on that project for the last uh, several months. And I, I think it's very important that black and brown stories be told, that the next generation be aware of those stories and they be told by black and brown people. Now, so I want to start with that last point. I do remember Soul Train. I watched it back in the day. It used to come in on Saturday. I remember seeing photos of Don Cornelius with a big afro. My favorite part was when folks came down the Soul Train line and even watched the earlier, the iterations into, I would say, my more formative years when like um, Shamar Moore was the one who was being the host after, you know, Don Cornelius's retirement and then transition. So it was a, it's definitely a good time. It's definitely a cultural moment. And I am excited to hear that you are working on it and fully agree with the importance of those legacy shows that were so important and are so important to our rich history being told by people who experienced it firsthand and look like us. Um, a couple things that you said, you said a lot of stuff there that I wrote down and want to like pull on. But the first piece I want to talk about is that opportunity. And I love how you phrase, you had the opportunity to go to college and the fact that the groundwork was laid sort of for you to be able to take advantage of things. And there were some tough choices and some good choices that your parents and other people made on your behalf, for example, going to private school to kind of put you on a track um, to be able to get into these places and spaces. And that is definitely something that in reading your biography and looking at your work seems like a common thread throughout your entire you know, professional and how you show up in the community and how you show up and to engage. So the question I have for you is, when it comes to you know opportunity and you know good choices, how do you think about that now in light of what we're seeing when it comes to representation on corporate boards? To put a finer point on it, you mentioned you were on your first board at 38, and that is exceptional, it's awesome, but it's also something that seems to be rare amongst me and my peers. Usually it takes, I will say, folks getting into their mid 40s to be able to enter into the, that corporate board space. And it's, it's, you know, if you look at how technology and networks and like exposure has grown, you would have thought the opposite would have been the case. You would have thought that more would be entering early. Like, what do you, I know you're working on a number of things, but like, what are your thoughts on that? And what do you see as being some of the contributing factors behind that trend? Silicon Valley Vibes will be back after this quick message. Hi, I'm Nadia Ahmad, Silicon Valley Leadership Group Foundation Board Member and serving on the Turkey Trot Steering Committee. I'm inviting and encouraging all of you, your coworkers, friends, and family to kick off Thanksgiving Day with the 19th Annual Applied Materials Silicon Valley Turkey Trot, the largest Thanksgiving Day race in the country. Participation is welcome both in person or virtual from anywhere in the world. The Trot directly supports four charities, the Healthier Kids Foundation, the Health Trust, Second Harvest of Silicon Valley, and Santa Cruz County. 
It's a Thanksgiving tradition supporting your health while supporting the health and wellness of our community. Please go to svturkeytrot.com for information. We hope to see you there. Hey everyone, it's your favorite AIVV, and now back to the show. Welcome back to SVV. You know, what was interesting in this first part of the conversation was absolutely hearing about Mr. Barry's bio. And it's something that resonates with a lot of us, but also something that may be a little bit new and unique to some of us who are listening. And it was also interesting to hear a lot of the similarities that he spoke about in his household and things that I related to hearing in my own, in my friend's household and in family members' households. And I really loved hearing about his first journey into activism and being involved in the strike that was going on within the community against discriminatory practices. For me, that almost seemed like his first engagement in public leadership. So I really got a lot out of this early part of the conversation. Nadia, can you share a little bit more about the second part of your conversation with Barry? So the second part of the conversation may be my favorite portion of our series, speaking with Mr. Barry, because I will say as a alumni of Mr. Jefferson University, I like to consider myself a lifelong learner who is open to being changed and informed by new information. So I appreciated hearing him talk in more detail about corporate board and how it's definitely connected to service. I learned a lot in this portion and think that you all will as well. Let's roll the tape. I know you're working on a number of things, but like, what are your thoughts on that? And what do you see as being some of the contributing factors behind that trend? I tell people all the time, it's that some is luck, but you gotta have some intentionality. So I knew that I wanted to uh, do board service because I enjoyed working with people on complex issues. I did a lot of work with not-for-profits, not to be a stepping stone necessarily to public company boards, but through that not-for-profit experience, I learned how boards work. I learned not just the governance, but I learned how to make a contribution, how to be a leader. And certainly I met people who could do things for me. It was, in fact, an investment banker who worked with me on the not-for-profit board who said, when the company was looking for somebody, I've got a name. And as I said, I've been on 16 company boards. Only one has come through search. All have come through references. So somebody has said, I've got a name, and that name was me. So I think it's very important that you develop a set of skills that make you attractive to boards. I think it's very important that you demonstrate your leadership. And I think it's very important you let people know that's what you want to do. And I hate to say it. I think our country, our business community needs diversity more than ever. So a lot of people talk about the reaction to George Floyd and related events. And they talk about it in terms of a social response. I appreciate that. But what I really think we need, and particularly in the boardroom, is diversity. I think it's a business imperative because it's a new paradigm. And we need new strategies to be successful in the future. And we need people with different backgrounds who don't have the same group think, the same background who have new sets of skills to get us there. 
and diversity will get us there. I, I'm almost tired of having to talk about the benefits of diversity, but I think uh, we need to recast it not as a social response, but as a business imperative. I agree. I like it. And it makes sense too about the power and influence of your networks. I want to start with this question and talk a little bit about the importance of a corporate board. So I will say for my generation, and I will say like the late stage millennials and maybe some of the generation ahead of me, we think about boards differently. And we don't fully understand the relevance and the importance, especially when it comes on impact on you professionally, but also the impact that it can have in the real world. So would you mind telling us a little bit about the importance of a corporate board and why that position and seat is so important and impactful? Well, let me talk about it from a personal point of view. Serving on a board is a lot of fun. There are a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting issues. Second, not only can you contribute, but you can learn a hell of a lot. And I think I was a better business executive having had the perspective of serving on a corporate board and seeing different industries or from a different point of view problems that I had to address in other environments. Then the final thing, there, there's just no escaping the fact. Corporations are powerful. They have a huge impact on our communities, jobs and what have you. That's why it's important that we get diversity in philanthropic giving and we get diversity in suppliers and they impact our communities. So uh, I think boards are hugely important. Boards do not run the company but they are very significant. They pick and choose the CEO. They pick and choose his successor or her successor. Uh, the community interface, uh, boards are very powerful and influential. So, you know, if you want to get something done impacting the community, uh, the board of directors is, is the position. No, I appreciate that. I want to double click on what you just said about the fact that corporations are powerful they have a huge impact on society and our communities and things that happen on these boards and in these corporations impact a lot of aspects of our lives that we may not be aware of. And it's very important that there are people from different backgrounds and perspectives to be a part of that conversation and in the mix. So in addition to the impact it can have on you professionally when it comes to learning and exposure and continuing to, continuing to interact with other people, it also is for those of us who are civic minded and those of us who want to have an impact on our community, this is actually another way that isn't sometimes top of mind of being a way to have that same type of impact. I know a lot of us tend to lean towards the nonprofit boards in that space because we can see tangible direct impact in some of the communities that we've come from. And so I want to make sure that our listeners know that this corporate board space is also a place that we should be looking to get into and looking to get the, the tools and skills and exposures that would make us you know, productive on the board, but also getting expanding our networks so we can get into those spaces a little bit more. Uh, I'm about 120% in agreement with you. I love it. You know, I, every day I'm amazed at the uh, inequities in our lives and our communities and what have you. And, you know, one of the ones that I'm particularly interested in is health inequity. And then it goes back to corporations. So, you know, who are the providers that companies choose for people? Do they deal with the issues of black and brown people as well as they should? Very much agree with you. I love it. I love agreement. I want to so I want to shift a little bit and talk about the Black Corporate Directors Time Capsule Project because it is something that is not only 
informative, but it's imperative that those stories and experiences get out, but also that we continue to track sort of where we are as a society, but also where we are as a, a group of people who are interested are looking to be able to sort of like get into this space in a, a new and different way. So tell us a little bit about this project. I hate to complicate things, but I'm a complicator. Love it. <laughs> and I want to talk about three efforts that I've been involved with. So the first effort was before the Time Capsule Project. I was uh, still working on corporate boards. At the time, uh, I was on five boards. And I said to myself, what can I do to ensure that I am replaced by a black or brown person? Of those five, I was successful in only two. I did the same effort in each one. There were competing needs that made me unsuccessful. I didn't have the CEO commitment as well as in certain ones as in others. And in one case, a woman, majority woman that I recommended got the position. So, But uh, it just shows you diversity is hard to get into the fabric of the corporation. While I was doing that, really, I came across my first study. And that was that there was a... Uh, a study by the Black Corporate Directors, which is a nice networking organization of existing corporate directors in 19, this was about, okay, say, I'd say about or eight years ago. It said that 75% Fortune 100 companies had a Black director. So we were sitting there, you know, glass half empty, glass half full. Is it good that at least 75 have? Is it terrible that 25 don't? I sat there and I said, wait a second. Let me go back to California and the Bay Area and do my own study. So I studied top 25 or 30 companies in the Bay Area. And instead of 75% having a black director, the number was 25. And then when you added the tech companies in, some of whom were private, the number went down to single digit. So I did two things. I assembled a list of all the black directors that I knew of and the black CEOs just in the Bay Area and came up with a list of 30 people and said, hey, if you wanted a director, here are people who are directors in other geographies or CEOs who are perfect candidates. Why don't you start with them? And then I went to every single CEO or director, minority and majority that I could and broadcast the results and the availability of top-notch people. So that was my first study, and I'd say roughly that was eight years ago. Just before the pandemic, I did the Time Capsule Project, which I thought would be my last project, but it's not. <laughs> and the Time Capsule Project, what I did is essentially I interviewed 50 leading black corporate directors about their corporate experiences. And, and came up with some very interesting results. I thought the most interesting result was the lack of a consensus on the outlook for black directors. So this was pre-pandemic, pre-George Floyd. Some people thought it looked good. Some people said, ah, it'll stay the same. And some people said it'll decline. There are industries that we are, as black candidates, are not getting a fair shot. And people thought that technology... Uh, in particular, was an area, but also private equity, but particularly technology. And then the third one was, it's very important you understand how I asked the question. I said, when you think of your board service, what would you think you had done differently? What do you wish that you had done differently? And 
I say that because I, I didn't ask the diversity question. I didn't constrain it, color it, whatever. The answer was, and pretty strongly, we all wish we talked about diversity louder, sooner, more often. And the reason for that is, in my generation, when you got on a board, you didn't want to be labeled the black director. You didn't want to be labeled the single issue director. So you shied away from advocating diversity. I think most people in my generation over time got more and more vocal about diversity. But I found that very interesting. If everybody talked about the board service, it was the diversity issue that people pointed to. I thought my work was done, but a lot has happened post-pandemic. We've had the George Floyd incidents. We've had a lot of state mandates and investor reactions. We've had reactions to Supreme Court decisions. And I thought that it would be good to do another study. And the study would, would be post-pandemic and to see if things have changed. So now I'm embarking on what I call the Black Corporate Director's Video Archive Project. And I have so far interviewed 40 leading Black Corporate Directors. I'm going to do another 30 because I want to get the right sample size. Focusing on three areas. One is, uh, what was your trajectory to getting on a board? In essence, do you have to be a CEO or COO to be on a board? And I really want to encourage people who are not CEOs or COOs to think about board service, because there are many people who've gotten on who are not in that position. I also want to encourage people from non-traditional areas who have great skill sets to think about boards. And I'm thinking about people in higher education, the military, places like that. So then the second area that I have questions is how do you become effective on a board? How do you make a contribution? What committees? What allies? What board style? And then the final area is this whole area of what's the, what's the outlook for the future? And you know what's the role of search firms, NOM and government committees, existing black directors. I hope to get it finished by the first quarter of, of next year. I'm a little out in front of my headlights. If anybody wants to contribute, make a charitable contribution to corporations, <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> no, I've raised about half the money I need. I have additional prospects, but uh, I'm finding this work more than confirming about what I set out to do. And therefore, I want to do it right. I want to interview the right people. I want to do it in person. And, and that has taken more money than I've raised so far. But we'll get there. We'll be back with more Silicon Valley Vibes after this. Hey, everyone. Becca Killian here, manager of events for Silicon Valley Leadership Group with a reminder to register for this year's 45th annual forum presented by Amazon and PG&E. Our marquee event will take place on December 14th at Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. Open to all SVLG member company employees. This event will spark discussions on AI and its impact on elections. Don't miss a chance to hear about our rising startup initiative and exclusive networking with industry leaders, innovators, and policymakers at the cocktail reception. For more information on this event and to register, please go to svlg.org forward slash events. We hope to see you there. 
one, it's your favorite AIVV, and now back to the show. Welcome back to SVV. So Nadia, can you share a little bit about the final part of your conversation with Barry? So the final part of my conversation brings everything home. It is the shout, as you would call it. Meaning this is the part that I think people should sit with, should think about, should also contemplate what it means for themselves. For those who have dreams and desires of being on boards, he gives you some gain on how you should be thinking about it. I think for others in the space, it gives you some insight on the effectiveness and impact that being on a corporate board could have. So for me, this last portion has a little bit of something for everybody, regardless of where you see yourself and what your goals are professionally. Let's check it out. I'm finding this work more than confirming about what I set out to do, and therefore I want to do it right. I want to interview the right people. I want to do it in person, and, and that has taken more money than I've raised so far, but we'll get there. No, I love it, because it's literally like you were doing multiple dissertations. Like each project could be a full-fledged dissertation with the research methods there. I appreciate for sure the fact that you went out and did your own research to collect the numbers to see what was really happening, even though you knew that there was a 75% you know, stat out there, which definitely proves 100% that the numbers can be cut different ways. And it takes somebody with intentionality to do the research in a way to figure out what's actually happening and understanding it. So you can put the, the right treatment or the right course in place in order to be able to grow the numbers to a degree. That piece that you mentioned about not getting a fair shot at certain types of boards definitely stood out to me. And I'm sure it's something that is still pervasive to this day. We saw lots of movement post the pandemic, post George Floyd, when it came to a lot of corporate boards beginning to think about diversity in that way um, and beginning to add you know, black people specifically um, to the board, even though there are representation gaps when it comes to our Latino brothers and sisters and others in the space as well. And I think that your question is the one that I pulled out from your report that I did want to talk to you a little bit about is the fact that many said that they would have focused on diversity differently when they got into the seat. And I'm curious as to what you think is behind that. Like, is it an experience that they had on the board or is it a situation of maybe not fully recognizing the power of their seat and position and then kind of thinking back and reflecting on all the different moments that they could have begun to sort of like chip away at how people think about things and approach things, or if it's an effort that needs to happen for your duration on the board and you don't, you can't do it in a small window. Just curious to what you think is behind that. No, I, I, I think it goes back to, as I said, not wanting initially to be labeled as a single issue, the black director. I think people realized unless they spoke up themselves and unless they got non-minority allies to help them, we wouldn't get anything done in diversity. So you got to speak up. And one of the things that I have found is you can't let diversity be one and done topic once a year at some subcommittee or committee. It's, it's got to get up to the board level. It's got to get the focus of the CEO if you're going to get anything done. It's a realization that nothing was going to happen unless you spoke up and got allies. You know, everybody the first couple of years on a board is maybe more a listener than a talker. And that's good to learn the board, the culture, and what have you. But after a while, you're, you got to remember, you're on that board to speak up. That's how you got on that board. So you got to got to be yourself and speak up. And I think people realize that. It makes sense. The other thing you mentioned that I want to touch on is the fact that you are looking, you asked a question about trajectory and you are interested in having people who don't have, I would say, the typical CEO or corporate executive 
title with being interested in getting on corporate boards. What do you say to those folks who may feel a little intimidated without those that certain type of credentialing from various sectors, education, academia, um, military, or even just, you know, maybe another discipline inside of a corporate setting? What would you say to people who are maybe a little apprehensive or hesitant to pursue a board because they don't have, you know, chief or senior vice in their title? Most of the skills that got people on boards are different from the skills we need to be successful in the future. I mean, if you look at the skills companies need to be successful now, we're talking about crisis management, risk management, regulatory affairs, except IT security. Those are not in the purview sitting board members. And therefore, people should understand what are the emerging set of skills and see how they can cast themselves. The other thing is I tell people in these non-traditionary areas, you have to recast yourself in terms of attractiveness for board service. And what I mean by that is you need to look at your job and say, take, take a uh, college president and say, you know, not just that I was a college president, but I, I ran a budget. I worked through crises with the faculty, with the athletic department. Etc. <laughs> you know, many of the things that corporations have to do, you do in your job, and you shouldn't underestimate how attractive you are and how important it is to bring your experiences into the board so they can have that perspective in decision making. I tell those people don't shy away, but make sure you recast your experiences in a way that's attractive to a board. No, so reiterating for all those listening, don't shy away. Recast your skills and make sure that you have the skills, but also package them in the right way. You've dealt with many of the things that are going to be relevant and presence on this corporate board. And that's your You said it better than I could. <laughs> I've been practicing. I've been practicing. Um, so I know we are almost brushing up on time. The one question, which may be our final question for you is, keen to hear your vision for the future. Like you've been working in this space. You are not new to this effort or work. You are definitely true to it, as we say. What do you, what's a job well done for you? Or what do you want to see happen in this space? Here's what I would like to see in the next five years and be very specific. I'd like us to see, I'd like us to identify and support five new Ken Chenaults, five new Ursula Burns, five new Dick Parsons. I don't merely want to find out who the next Ken Chenault is. I want us to identify and support five of them and five Ursulas and five Dicks. Second, I really want to get more extensive mentoring of Blacks now, whether it's board service or not. But I think we are under mentoring and, and there's a vast amount of talent out there that uh, I think uh, should be groomed. The other thing I'd like to see is I appreciated very much the huge pronouncements, financial commitments, what have you, that poured out after the George Floyd incidents. I, and I've not been able to find anybody else, can tell you what happened, what worked, what didn't work. I hope that we would have increased exposure, increased accountability, and find out what worked and what we should continue to do. So that's, that's probably a third thing I like. Those are excellent. The, uh, the identification and support one of the Mrs. Burns and the others in the space, absolutely. 
And it's interesting that you said that because it has to go beyond saying this person is a rising star. It's the community of folks getting behind that person and making sure that they're able to be set up for success, but also get it, get into and can gather into the right seats and places. The, the mentoring and grooming, as you said, too, is also something that I say my peers and I also recognize. There are very few places and individuals, and we're thankful for those who exist, who are actually like advocates and are looking to groom the next generation of leaders by sharing knowledge, by giving exposures, but also championing them in rooms that they may not be privy to or entered into just yet. And I would say that last piece that you mentioned is absolutely my favorite because everything received a lot of attention. There was a lot of finance and contributions and funds going behind these efforts, but they only va- they're, only, they're most valuable if we can make we can grow, we can learn from whatever happened and make best practices and make these decisions and implement what's working and tweak what wasn't, but being very like clear-eyed and honest about some of the things we tried that may not have yielded the results that we were looking for. Um, this has been amazing. I want to personally say thank you for the conversation and for asking um, some of my questions. I'm one of those people who I understand how corporate boards operate and focus. I spend my time on nonprofit boards. And I always had that battle mentally about whether the corporate board space was a place that I wanted to enter into, because sometimes it can seem as a very, I will say elitist for lack of a better word, like space for those of us who are not, you know, from Harvard or Ivy League, but have, you know, worked really hard and like climbed and ascended and learned a lot and feel like we have a lot to offer. It's figuring out like where to spend time. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. And, you know, um, you absolutely changed my mind about how I think about corporate boards. And I'm sure there's plenty of others who are listening to this who will feel um, very similarly. I will say that I am happy to know you and appreciate the work that you're doing on behalf of all of us. And when I say all of us, I mean not only the next generation of professionals coming up, but I would say society as a whole, because we will function better and be a better democracy, be a better society with more representation at these levels, especially considering the impact and influence that they have on our everyday lives. So with that, I want to, again, thank you, Mr. Barry, for joining us today. I know that our audience loves Thanks for you for the opportunity to continue the effort to keep diversity in the forefront. Thank you. And so that was the conversation. What I found interesting about Barry's leadership on various boards was that he felt early on that he couldn't be the diversity member, quote unquote, who consistently brought up the issue. But with experience, he learned that maintaining a steady drumbeat on the issue was actually what was needed. And it's a reminder to bring your whole self to your professional role. And that includes your history, your background, and your perspective. Nadia, you and Barry covered a lot of ground. Was there one thing that stood out to you in your conversation that's something you're not gonna let go of anytime soon? You know, the thing that stood out to me is you have an individual who has a remarkable professional background and experience, and to this date is still going, still looking to push the envelope, still taking on new projects. So for me, it's kind of like the work is never done. So if you're passionate about it, you have a role to play, you have an experience, there's always a space that you can step into. I think the other piece that stood out to me and something that I will keep with me is the fact that in all of his opportunities, he continued to open windows for other folks find more folding chairs for other people to be at the table, and also gives a constant call of, this is a space that you should be in, whether you realize it or not, but also don't close doors to spaces that you feel like aren't yours. Give them a chance, explore them. So those are just a few of the gems and lessons that I plan on holding on tightly to as I continue to proceed professionally. And that wraps this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. Please like, share, and subscribe. And remember, 
With millions of stories in Silicon Valley, you can't always get all the details. But you can get the vibes right here on Silicon Valley Vibes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes featuring Barry Williams. How about a hand for the amazing humans and AIs that make our show so great? Produced by human Chuck Dickinson and the other humans at Silicon Valley Leadership Group. And from all of us at SVV, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great day.